from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Marketing Matters on Business Radio. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Marketing Matters here on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm Barbara Kahn, the Patty and J.H. Baker Professor of Marketing, and I'm joined by my co-host, Americus Reed, the Whitney M. Young Jr. Professor of Marketing and the Brand Identity Service. Hello, Americus. Hi, Barbara. We're going to be back in full swing on campus. I'm starting to see the kids come around. Tell me your one biggest thing you're going to do differently when we're back in the classroom. Oh, my God, Americus. I have to start teaching next Monday. Mm -hmm. I have to teach from 830 to 5. Four classes in a row of the same thing in a mask. Wow. (laughs) So... You better start practicing. Have you have you done a run through with what what it's like to wear a mask? Imagine being back in the classroom. We haven't been in the classroom for 18 months. Life is going to be quite different. (laughs) It's going to be exciting stuff. We'll see if it's a hit or miss. Exactly. And that brings us to the hit yes. miss section of our core, of our show. And of course, we are joined today by a special guest, and I'd like to introduce her because I'd like her to play along with us. We have with us today Tiffany Bova, who's the Global Growth and Innovation Evangelist at Salesforce, and she has tons of data to share with us. Hello, Tiffany. Hi, Barbara. Thanks for having me. So, We're going to play hit and miss. And what that means for you and anybody who hasn't been paying attention to us is that we talk about the big news of the week, the marketing related big news of the week. And America's I and our guest, you, um, dissect it. So I'm going to start with what I thought was the biggest news of the week. I put it all over my Twitter Twitter account and LinkedIn. Um, It was an exclusive that the Wall Street Journal reported last week which was that Amazon is planning to open large retail locations that would be like department stores. Now that is a really big story because you're going to tell us, Tiffany, about a lot of what you've seen looking at your data about the changes over the last year and a half in marketing due to COVID and all these other things that have happened. And I know you've seen dramatic changes and I'm not sure how much you look at the retail world per se, but in the retail world, one of the biggest stories is What's going to happen to department stores, the lack of travel to malls, and during COVID, of course, there was an incredible acceleration to digital, and Amazon, once the biggest company in the world, became the trillionest biggest company, what's bigger than the biggest, I don't know, but they really benefited by COVID, Um, and there was a lot of talk about the death of department stores, so Mm. the idea that Amazon is planning to open several several large physical retail locations that will look like department stores Mm. um, is really fascinating. They're planning on opening them, if this is true, and Wall Street Journal is the only one who reported it, Mm -hmm. in Ohio and California. They're going to be smaller than regular department stores. Their new retail spaces they're talking about would be 30,000 square feet, and a Mm -hmm. typical department store is more like 100,000 square feet. Mm. Um, So it'll be slightly different, more like a little Bloomingdale's or Nordstrom's. But kind of what I think is interesting, and I'm curious to hear everybody's point of view is, you know, and I know, Tiffany, you're going to talk about an acceleration to digital and things like that. And this starts with what we started with the top of the of the sect of the show about that I'm going to go back in class and teach in real life. 
So here's Amazon. They opened up grocery stores during COVID. Of course, mm. before COVID, they bought Whole Foods. Now they're talking about opening up department stores. What does this mean about marketing and shopping and everything else? Americans, you got a take about this? Wow. I mean, first of all, uh, it's a, that's really interesting. I mean, I am a little bit shocked. I mean, I, but then I kind of go back a little bit, Barbara, and get your take on this as well. Like, do I really know what a department store is? That's question number one. Uh, and then question number two is, what is the purported kind of angle here? Like, what are they going to do that's going to be the differentiating factor from what we think of what, when we think about the word department store, is it going to be some sort of special experience type of thing, special sort of inventories? Like, yeah, what's going on here? Let me just answer what, the, again, this is all speculation because it's just Wall Street Journal reporting it. And Amazon, of course, no comment. But what their report is that they will sell scores of products, including clothes, furniture, mm. batteries, electronic devices, and many of their own labels. Um, and the idea is that there's just so much you can do in digital commerce. And there's some benefit to mm. trying on the clothes, try, you know, feeling the product, mm. et cetera. Oh. That as much as we're moving to digital, there's just so much we can do. Tiffany, do you have, I know you've looked at lots of data. I don't know if you've studied retail in particular or if you know anything about this particular issue. Yeah, so interestingly enough, I actually covered this in my book and Sears, uh, you know, finding its way to the demise and, you know, all the shifts in the market that they didn't pay attention to. So what's going to be interesting, I think, is even if somebody like Amazon took 130 square feet, 130,000 square feet, if 30,000 of it was going to be department store, they could use 30,000 of it as wholesale, as uh, distribution and logistics, exactly. and they could use 30,000 of it for grocery. I mean, just imagine that uh, I, I often said the one thing that was missing from Amazon was that last mile, you know, beyond delivery, especially around returns, right? If you remember, they did the deal with Kohl's. They were trying to get closer right. to uh, the consumer from a returns perspective. And returns and are successful for both of them, for Kohl's. And yeah. And, but returns are crushing retailers, right? Because people aren't able, as you said, Barbara, right, to try it on. So they, I'm going to buy three sizes. I'm going to send two back. Um, and returns are just crushing them. And so I feel like this is the right response to number one, get to that last mile. Number two, you know, giving fulfillment and distribution closer to the center because their comp largest competitors, if you will, are within five or 10 miles of everybody's, you know, the densest populations of, of uh, people in the U.S. So I think this is a way for them to cut across some of their limitations as it comes around the topic of retail. So definitely a hit for Amazon. What does it say for the other department stores? <laughs> Interestingly enough, the numbers for Macy's were good this year, this week. Macy's reported some strong numbers this month, which was nice to see. Interesting. Um, well, remember, yeah, you know, a lot of Amazon's products are from third-party sellers, right? Yeah. And so, you know, it, it also gives reach to those third-party sellers. So, you know, it's, it's always a combination, of course, of the big guy getting rid of the little guy. But they said mm. that 120 years ago about Sears and retail definitely right. survived that. And so, you know, it goes back to what Americus was saying around experiential retail and making it a lot more interesting. 
And to your point, the New York Times reported this past week that Amazon beat Walmart in GMV, which is gross merchandise value, I think, which is what's selling on their platform first party and third party sales. Mm -hmm. And because Amazon does have such a big um, share of their revenues devoted to third party sales, that's significant. And it is the first time that Amazon sold more GMV than Walmart. So that was a something that the New York Times decided to devote a whole story to. Interesting. I think is right. And I think the other interesting piece too, to get your thoughts on this as well, Tiffany and Barbara, is that it's probably a lot of business intelligence that's going into this. I think one of the interesting aspects about Amazon is that they're so data rich that they don't have to guess at things. They, they, can, they can pull out efficiencies and understand very pinpoint sniper-like kinds of things they can do in this real-time experiment as they roll it out. Uh, in probably ways that other companies just can't do because they have so much access to information Absolutely. about what's going on. So super interesting stuff. Well, that's right, what they I'm did with their bookstore, it. right? It wasn't like, let's just put all the books there. It's in this zip code, in the, the surrounding zip sellers. codes, here are the top products. And that's what we're going to put in there. Uh, and so and very they know that from the, the customer point of view, not from the merchandiser point of view, which is typically exactly. how these things are sorted. Absolutely. Totally about data. Which of so course the, so the bottom line, sorry, but never bet against Jeff Bezos. Is that your bottom line, Barbara? And he's out in space, by the way. I know, right. That's a good point. That's a good point. He's on to other things. Yeah. But we amazing. got a new sheriff in town at Amazon, but still, yeah. I think it's data, data, data. I totally agree. Oof, so Tiffany, um, we can either talk about your new report that Salesforce has come out with, or you said maybe you have a hit in this to share with us. Oh, we can get into the research. We can get into the research. But I, you know, that was definitely, well, that was definitely one of the that I figured you guys would want to talk about. And the other one was also in retail, the Toys R Us making a ah. reappearance back into Macy's and doing a pop-up store. Yes, you know, they did that a decade ago. Um, yeah. so it was a decade ago they did it, uh, and now they're doing it again. Um, mm. and you know, toys is a very large category. Uh, that they've sort of left a vacuum in and, and Macy's, uh, the CEO, I guess, in an interview uh, on their earnings call was saying that they expect the toys to sort of be 4X what it is um, now. And, and that just shows the power of unlikely partnerships uh, mm-hmm. amongst people who might be, un, uh, you know, usually considered competitors, even mm-hmm. though Toys R Us is not what it used to be. I think there's a huge thing, uh, just like the Amazon Kohl's example we just gave, right? Toys R Us mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and Macy's. You know, that's interesting. an interesting thing that we started introducing in our new core marketing course, this idea that you've just talked about, which is this notion of collaborations or collaborators of, of strange partners. And we're seeing a lot of interesting collaborators. A lot of our hit and misses over the last few weeks have been some interesting collaborations and whether or Absolutely. not we think they're going to work. Absolutely. Um, and that is a very interesting change to marketing. Interesting. Yeah, I actually call it coopetition. Uh, it got a whole, yeah, I got a whole chapter in my book as unlikely. What's partners. your book? Tell us the uh, name of your book. Growth IQ. So now it yeah. just celebrated three years. So, you know, oh, she's, she's a toddler at this point, but still making <laughs> her way around the globe. That's very nice. Now, she's, uh, she, she's a toddler in many different languages, right? Yes. Nine, nine <laughs> languages. Excellent. Excellent. Let cool me reintroduce stuff. you. You're Tiffany Boba, our guest today. And Tiffany is the global growth and innovative evangelist at Salesforce. And she's here to promote her old book, three-year-old book, which is clearly still very, very, very relevant. But the news that she's bringing with us is that there's a new report 
out um, that Salesforce has put out in your annual state of the market that just came out. And I think that you're here to share with us some of the big key findings, which are really interesting. And they're touching on some of the issues we were talking about in our hit and miss section. So um, Tiffany, do you wanna tell us a little bit about the background for this um, report? You know, who, who are you looking at? How did you get this data? How do you draw these conclusions? And then maybe we can really do a deep dive into some of the conclusions. Sure. You know, this is uh, our seventh edition. So we've been doing it now for a number of years. Uh, this one was a little unique. It was 8,200 people worldwide in 37 countries. And we did it from May to June of 2021. So it's real time and relevant. And, and the three kind of big key themes, which I don't think are any surprise, are innovation, transformation, and how do we collaborate in this kind of work from anywhere world uh, from a marketer perspective. Uh, but ultimately, there is a um, overwhelming feeling that marketers have had to get better at responding to these rapid changes and the market conditions. And that's really going to be key throughout the remainder of this year. So it's kind of both a year of disruption and opportunity. So it's sort of two sides of the same coin. So let me get this straight. It's May to June. It's like a couple months ago you're talking about. Correct. It's 2021. It's not Correct. 2020. It's Correct. okay. We've already been through COVID a year and a half. Where are we now? What are we saying? Right. Correct. So I think that's pretty interesting because we've been talking a lot about speculation, but we've been in this now for over a year. So you're talking about really, I would say it's starting to be real changes in marketing strategy that you're now recording with your data because it's here, we're here, we're doing things now. Yeah, absolutely. The top priorities for marketers, number one was innovating, which should be no surprise. And number two is engaging with customers in real time. Also shouldn't be a surprise, but we had three that were new this year, creating a co cohesive journey across channels and devices because so much is happening virtually, if you will. The next was improving marketing ROI and attribution. And the, and the fifth one um, was improving collaboration. And that really nails on that. We How do we work from that. anywhere? What's working? What's not working? Right. Um, so those mm -hmm. were the sort of top priorities uh, and three new and two from 2020's report. Mm. Okay, so let's dive into it in a little bit more detail because I you were nice enough to pass along to America's and me the key findings. So let's um, look at some. So the first one was that um, marketers are embracing change. And you reported that 90% of the marketers say the pandemic changed their digital engagement strategy. Now, that's not really a surprise, except maybe for the fact that 90%. I mean, I think the big news of COVID is the digital acceleration. But that means, I mean, I take 90%. That's an astonishingly yeah, high number, right? right? It's so like change or die, right? It's sort of exactly, like... That's exactly the that, point I was going to make, that yeah. it, the world is now digital. And I think, I don't know how much color you can put around each one of these facts, but I think it gets back to the idea of Amazon opening stores about, you know, why are we going back into the classroom and things. If 90% mm -hmm. are talking about digital engagement, they must also be talking about the interaction with physical engagement face-to-face. -face. And I mean, I don't think anybody thinks the world is 100% going to be digital going forward. So can you give us a little bit more just thinking about what does that mean? Sure, sure. You know, I, I'd like to say it this way, that in the last 18 months, everybody, B2C or B2B, right? This, the person on the other end of that acquisition or buyer journey has become a super consumer. 
and super consumer in a very digital way. And so to your point, Barbara, is it going to remain totally digital or totally in person? Will it stay the way it is now? Will it go back to the way it was pre-pandemic? It's going to fall somewhere in between, depending on what industry and sector you're in. And we keep talking about retail, which is an obvious one. But one significant change as an example in that kind of uh, real-time digital engagement conversation is something we call the appointment economy, where we got into the habit of saying, if we're going to go to the store, remember, you have to go before, if you're for if you're a senior citizen, before 8 a.m. If you're going to go into a retail establishment, they'd be like, you need to make an appointment. You can't just walk in any longer. Right. Um, and uh, mm-hmm. that understanding of, I want it to be personalized, which it allows you to be, right? If you're the only one in the store because you've made this appointment, they know who you are, they know your expectations. It also keeps their employees safe and and everyone feels more more safe in that retail environment. Now you may say, well, don't you think that's gonna go back to normal? Well, I'll just give myself as an example. I I live in Los Angeles. um, And so I was in a store the other day that absolutely had appointment in the heat of everyone in lockdown. Um, and last week, still an employment economy. And I said, are you guys going to keep it? Right. Cause it's kind of what I do. Are you guys going to keep it? And it was a very high end brand on, you know, a very high end street in mm. Beverly Hills, California. You could figure it out. And, mm. <laughs> um, they said they are going to keep it. It allowed them to control how many people were in the oh, store from a safety perspective, from an employee perspective, they were able to provide very one-on-one service. It's high ticket item things. So ultimately, that, that's one example of this embracing change where you might have been a marketer to drive lots of people into the store. Now mm. it's more about driving them in in a much more controlled way. Mm. Yeah, so that is interesting. The learning, and I know we're talking about that in teaching as well. What have we learned during this last year and a half of the digital engagement? What are the benefits of it? But how can we take those learnings and bring them back into the business as a whole, not in this specialized COVID way? Let's move on to the second point, which this one I thought was very interesting. And I don't know how much detail you can go into on it, but I'm very curious about it. And this is one America's asked about all the time. Every time it's his turn to ask a question, he goes, <laughs> what are your success metrics? You know, He's always yeah. asking that. I so am. what I thought was pretty interesting here is that They've changed your reprioritize the KPIs due to the pandemic. And what your report said that you sent us is the three highest growing KPIs are customer referral rates, customer mm. acquisition costs, and content engagement. Now, if I look at the first two, customer, customer referral rates, customer acquisition costs, those are customer metrics, which suggests that firms are prioritizing CLV customer lifetime value, they're becoming way more customer focused. And our colleague here at at Wharton, Pete Bader, talks about this all the time, customer centricity. I think that's what that's saying. Now, the content engagement, in my mind, that's a top of the the funnel um, Mm -hmm. measure. So that's saying that Mm. it's not just about behavioral um, metrics, but it's also about how you're interacting with my right. content and my marketing. And so right. if I took those three metrics and levered them up, I would see a focus on customer focused marketing and the idea that the top of the funnel still matters. Did I get that right? Or <laughs> am I reading into No, you're, you're absolutely, you're absolutely reading that correctly. And, and I would say that, um, you know, we also had marketers say about two thirds of them say that revenue growth over the next 12 to 18 months is what they're expecting. And so 
getting smarter on how they're going to get that. Once again, to your point, top of funnel, understanding what's happening in the customer organization. But one thing marketers still struggle with, and I know we'll probably talk about it in a second, is data and how many sources of data they have, you know, and getting real-time data, the quality of it, the completeness of it, so that you even know what's working and not working. Because it used to be like, how many leads, good or bad? How much revenue, regardless of source? You know, we could always kind of find KPIs that unfortunately would give the arm the marketing department with the ability to keep, you know, the budget flowing inward. But now, you know, I think that as more digital transformation has happened over the last 18 months than we probably anticipated, you know, over the next three or four years had things happened normally outside of this pandemic. Um, I think the metrics um, might not have gotten so focused on customer um, as much as it would have been the classic marketing types of, of KPIs that have been around for a while. But I do like seeing growth becoming one of them because I think it's one that an entire customer facing organization, sales service and marketing can align around. So let's, let's dig into the other thing you said, um, cause I mean, all of these are big things we've been talking about one way or another for weeks and weeks and weeks, this notion of the data. So 75% of your marketers expect an increase in customer data sources between 2020 and 2022 but only 42% of the markers are fully satisfied with the quality of their data. Mm. And I can only imagine that that's going to get even worse as GDPR kind of requirements come in and uh, we're getting rid of, you know, customer tag data and privacy concerns and cookies and all the rest of this. Did you dig deep into that whole issue? We did. And it would like, just from a sort of, projected standpoint in 2020 there was sort of an average of eight data sources for a marketer in 2021 there was 10 we think in 2022 we think there's going to be 14 so imagine that right that kind of single source of truth of if you have a salesperson calling a customer who has an open ticket not a good thing right if you have you know customer service out in the field um, you know maybe repairing something for a client and they don't know what they have can they upsell cross-sell it's like giving that information and data, you know, to your customer facing employees in real time. But, you know, I just want to give one caveat that wasn't in some of the, the those top lines that we gave you that impacting strategy for marketers. Number one is customers. Number mm-hmm. two is technology. But number five is employees. And that's an area where I think we have to make sure marketers continue to focus on because if there's 14 data sources and I'm a marketer and I'm trying to do my job and do the things you just said, what are my referral rates? What are my customer acquisition costs and how good is my content? And I don't know where to find the data and I can't get it easily. How do you expect me to actually be more effective in my job? You know, especially in a remote world where I'm not with teams where we can kind of, you know, try to brainstorm what's going on. So it's a combination of, multiple data sources, this work from anywhere, right? Not everyone's going to be in the same room going forward. And then also the impact to the strategies that they have. Interesting. I think the other interesting point behind that, Tiffany, if you could speak on this, if there's additional insight here, is that, you know, I, we all get this notion of, you know, data is the new oil and all of that. But at some point, you know, there's a big difference between data and insight, right? Just like there's a big difference between wisdom and knowledge. And so, how will mark what what are marketers saying as the prediction about how they will become better at what are the things that they're going to be doing and skills that they'll need to be paying attention to and developing 
to be able to make sure that as the as the spigot opens up on data coming in, that they're not completely overwhelmed by it and they have strategies in place to be able to pull the necessary insights out what of you know of what is a, a larger and larger river of information that could be coming in. Yeah. So I, I, I double click on that data is the new oil. If data is the new oil, you can't pull up to an oil rig and fill up your car. It's not possible, right? You need it to go through a refinery, right. which in my mind is analytics, right? So if data is the oil, analytics is the refinery Ooh, and the petrol that. or the gasoline that powers the business is insights. So you have to be able to double click, right? Data, analytics, insights. Data for right. data's sake does no good, right? So right. that's where artificial intelligence really plays a role in driving mm. the next best action, personalizing the journey, knowing who they am or who they are, um, automating customer interactions, right? Sometimes it might be bots that are very quickly doing, you know, very remedial responses, like go to this FAQs or I'll open a ticket for you where you don't necessarily need a human, um, mm-hmm. personalizing those channels, you know, because it might be, you know, on social media, it might be in a newsletter, it might be on a phone call, it might be, you know, in a magazine, like, vault, you know, various channels. Mm-hmm. Um, also on the process automation side, I, I often say, and I know this might be a funny statement, considering I work at Salesforce, but we don't have a technology problem. Mm. You know, when I started on this thing called the World Wide Web, back in 2001, two and three, I was a Loquas beta client literally. Mm -hmm. And back then there was like 12 marketing technology products. Like Scott Brinkner tracks, you know, 8,700 now. There is no shortage of marketing technology, but where it tends to fall apart is in this people and process side, which this is where artificial intelligence, machine learning can really help marketers be much more effective in combing through all these signals in the data. Well, Tiffany, we're just about out of time. Um, So let me reintroduce you. Tiffany Boba has been speaking with us. She's the Global Growth and Innovation Evangelist at Salesforce. And she's been telling us about this new state of the market, state of marketing report that Salesforce has. It's the seventh edition. And Tiffany, where can people go to find out more about you, your book, and Salesforce? Well, the research is located at salesforce.com backslash state of marketing. You can download it. It's free. Um, mm-hmm. I advise and, and, and really suggest all you marketers, you know, those that are early in your career, all the way up to those that are managing big budgets uh, to take a peek because I think it's full of, of really great information. You can follow me on Twitter and or LinkedIn uh, and the book Growth IQ is online or at any of your local bookstores. Nice. Thank you so much. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about travel trends with the president of Expedia Brands. This is Marketing Matters Business Radio, Sirius XM 132.